Well, good morning, good morning. So good to see you here today. If you are a guest here with us, uh, thankful to have you here. Uh, it's a good time to come. We just started the series last week in the book of Psalms, God's Playlist. And I would say if you missed last Sunday, go back and watch that on our website or check it out on iTunes because Psalm 1 is the foundation to, to everything else that uh, we're going to be talking about through this Psalm series. And if you're new uh, to church in general, uh, new to the Bible, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, so open it up. And I would say if you don't have a Bible, right in our Welcome Center, there's a little rack full of Bibles. We'd love for you to take one of those. Um, or if you know somebody who needs one, be able to give that away to a friend free, free of charge. Let that be uh, our gift to you today. So Psalm chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, last week we looked at how Psalm 1 talks about the Word of God and how that's where we find happiness and true delight that's uh, lasting. And then we're going to look at Psalm 2 today, which doesn't talk about the Word as much as it talks about the world in which we live in. So let's look at Psalm chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1, and this is what the Word of the Lord says to us today. Why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in the pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we ask that your word would be that lamp to light our path today, that your word would guide us to the truth that our hearts need and the guidance to make decisions that our everyday life needs. And son, I pray today that you would bring forgiveness and redemption, that you would remove guilt from our hearts. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move to strengthen us and sustain us. God, give us the courage we need to live out your word. God, open up our eyes that we would see your wondrous truth today. And change us, we ask. And we just invite you uh, in this moment of silence just to pray quietly and, and pray and ask that God would speak to you today through his word. Pray now. And then pray for me that over the next few minutes that I would open up God's word clearly and that I would be helpful to you today. Pray for me now. Lord, we need you. And so that's why we pray, asking you to move things that we can't move and change in ways that we cannot change. God, we trust in you, our King. And it's in your name we pray. All right, Psalm chapter 2, 
It's an interesting psalm, right? We, we read it and maybe some of you came here today and you're like listening to Psalm 2 and you're like, what in the world is Psalm 2 about? Like you're talking about nations raging and God laughing. Like what in the world am I supposed to do with this, right? I mean, even this week, we as a pastoral team on, on Tuesdays, we get together and we read the, the passage together that we're going to preach on and we pray over it. And we're all looking at this and we're like, what did you do with Psalm 2? Like Psalm 1 was like so clear and then Psalm 2, like what, what's going on here in the second tract of, of God's playlist? But what's fascinating about this is Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. That's fascinating. The early church, the, the song that they put on playlist was Psalm 2. This is the one they put on repeat. I don't know if you have a favorite song, you get in the car and you can drive for an hour and listen to the same song over and over again. Well, if you do, if you're that kind of person, this is Psalm 2 for the early church. They continue to come back to this psalm and find comfort and strength and rest. And so we might read it and be like, what in the world is that all about? But there's something that we need to find in this passage. There's something we need to see. And I think what's so beautiful about this passage is we've we got to remember these are real people who wrote this. These are real times and real issues that people dealt with. And there are things going on then at that time, but it's relevant for us today. And so what we're seeing in this passage, what's going on here, is that these people feel like their world is out of control. Psalm 2 is our world is out of control. What do we do with that? And my question for you is, have you ever felt like that? Like, like the world is out of control, whether it's politically or socially or emotionally, whatever it is. It's out of control, God. I mean, what do you do in those times? Where do you go? I mean, for some of us, we internalize it and we just beat ourselves up. I'm, I'm so out of control. I wish I could control it. And I can't. And so your torment, you feel internally. For others of us, we go to the other extreme. It becomes all external. I can't control what's going on in my life or my government or this world. And so you start to yell and get angry at people. Like you externalize all the chaos within you. Now this psalm is going to tell us, yeah, there is a real chaos in our world. There's a real sense of like uncontrol in our world. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And so I just want us to walk through that first truth in the first few verses that we live in a world full of chaos. God's word describes that. A lot of us think, oh, well, church, the Bible, everything is perfect and it's beautiful. Like, no. God has said, ever since sin entered in the world, it is now broken. But there's also hope that we'll see in what's to come. But the first few verses, we find that we live in a world full of chaos. It says, why do the nations rage and why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up and rulers take counsel together. In Psalm 2, the people who are writing this are in a very vulnerable place. The setting of Psalm 2 is there's a transition from one king to the next. There's a transition going on. And the people are worried. They're anxious. They're like, oh my goodness, whenever there's a transition of power, that's when other people see it as a good opportunity to come in and bring division. And so what they're thinking about in this time when they talk about the nations raging and the people plotting is you would hope we're changing kings, the nation around us, all of them are going to just celebrate. Well done, you've got a new king, this is a great king, we're going to celebrate with you and applaud that. But that's not what you find. What you find is that they're raging and they're sitting there and they're plotting and they're planning, okay. Man, they're changing kings right now. This is a great time for us to expand our borders into their borders. They are surrounded by chaos. 
Politically, things are changing. Economically, things are changing. Even the world around them is starting to change. And to get a picture of what it means to, to have the nations around you warring and raging, look at this map real quick. So this is roughly the time period of what's, what's going on here. And you got Israel right in the middle of all these different nations. So Israel is not sitting there being like, we got, you know, sea to one side, we're safe. We got a mountain to the other side, we're safe. So all we really have to do is make sure that one or two nations aren't going to attack us and we're ready to go. Like, no, they are surrounded on every side. All they need is one chaotic moment and this nation comes in and pushes that border. And then the northern nation comes in and pushes that border. And then they're just in more and more chaos. That's the setting of this moment as it talks about people raging against the nation. But ultimately what you find here. The reason that they're raging is not solely against Israel. It's against the Lord. Because God's people and the nation of Israel stood on the Lord's word, Psalm 1. And if you look back in verse 2, it's interesting because they're not just raging against Israel. It says they come and take counsel against what? The Lord, verse 2 says. They're raging against the Lord and against his anointed. And then verse 3, it's telling them how they're doing that. How are they raging against the Lord? They're, they're looking at it and they're saying, let's burst the bonds and be apart. Let's cast away their cords from us. Now when we read this on the surface, we might think, well man, Israel must have been a really oppressive nation. They went to all these other nations and they probably threw them in, in chains and fetters. And so at that time, Israel's in the middle and they have all these, these people in, in chains around them, all these different kings. That's not what's happening in that moment. When it talks about they're saying we want to break these bonds, we want to cast away these cords, what they're talking about is specifically the commands of the Lord. That's what they're thinking. They're like, there's this nation and they're standing on these, what they say are divine truths, these biblical truths. Man, we don't want to live under that. We want to be our own God. And so they're raging against the Lord. Lord, it's not just about your nation. It's about we don't want your commands. When you say to love God and to love others, no, 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 no. We want to love ourselves. We want to be the king in place. You want to be king? No, 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 no. Let's break those bonds. Let's tear that stuff away and let us be the king. If we could just do away with this nation that's proclaiming these truths about God, then we can come in and we can be kings. We can be God. This is the exact same thing that happened in the garden. For those of you that know your Bible, at the very beginning, the temptation that comes to them is they want to be, what, like God. Adam and Eve are tempted if we... We take this step and we rebel against the true king. Hey, you know what? Maybe we can be king. Maybe we can sit in the seat of authority and be in control. When all of that is raging, it's creating chaos. The reality is, is what you find at the very beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve raging against the Lord. And what you find here in Psalm 2 is just an echo of the human heart ever since we fell. All of us have this impulse to rage against the king. We don't want to submit. We don't want to obey you, God. We want to do things our way. I mean, even today, the king will look at us in his word and he will say, forgive as you've been forgiven. And we look at the command of the king and we're like, no, no, no. God, this person deserves this. They hurt me so much. They need to feel that pain and hurt too. So I know what you're saying, King, that I should forgive as you've forgiven me, but no, this person deserves this. And so we harden our hearts and we rebel against the King as well. We look at our, our sexual ethic and we use 
sex, not the way that God has commanded, but God says use sex as a commitment, as a covenant exclusive for marriage. And we look around the world and we're like, well, the world says that we should live and do our sexual identity in this way. And what we're doing is it's ultimately harming us. The king's like, no, I've, I've created it. I'm the one that made it. Of course I know it's good. Of course I know it's good. I created it and I made it for you. In order to show your commitment. In order to show the covenant of marriage. And we look at the king we're like, no. I don't want to do it that way. I want to rage against you. We wouldn't use those words, but that's what's happening. But what happens when we rage against the true and better king is what we find is chaos. Chaos. If you were here last week or you watched online, you, you remember what happens those that run against the word of God. They're like chaff, verse 4 says, of chapter 1. And we talked about that. What that means is that that's the, the husk on the outside of a of, uh, of wheat, and it just blows away in the wind. There's no stability, there's no roots, there's no fruit that comes from it. It's literally hollow. And what this is showing us right here is if you live by that path and you go that way, you're going to float around from thing to thing and you're going to see chaos after chaos. And the irony of it is we think that we're remaining in control this way when in reality we become more and more out of control as we try to stay in control. When we say, God, we want to do it our way, this is how we're going to do it, what we find is more and more chaos and more and more confusion. That's what we find. That's what God's word is warning us about. And so the question is, okay, if there's chaos in this world and I see chaos in my heart and the sin and the brokenness of the world, like what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Exactly where this psalm goes. Exactly where this psalm goes. We look we look to the king. We trust in the king in the midst of our chaos. In verse 4 right here, look where he goes. He looks up to him, who, to him who sits in the heavens. He looks to the Lord. He's going to trust in him. Now we read verse 4 and we think him who sits in the heavens. Maybe if we took time to think about it, what runs through our mind is maybe... Okay, God is up there in some fluffy white clouds, and he's kicking back on his lazy boy fluffy white clouds, right? And he's like just propped up. Like there's God sitting up there in heaven, and he's thinking, ah, oh, that'll be so nice one day when we get to sit up there in those fluffy white clouds too. Like that's not what King David is talking about in this moment. When he uses the description, he who sits in the heavens, he's talking about somebody who has a high vantage point. Somebody who's above the clouds, somebody who can look down and see with a vantage point that nobody else has. See, at that time, it was so key to build your city or your town up on a mountain because it allowed you to see trouble that was coming or even joy that was coming. I mean, people would build their cities and their towns up there, and if an enemy nation was coming in that was going to war against them, they could look for miles out and say, man, bar the gates, let's get ready, get the weapons, here they come. Or the other extreme with, Hey, guess what? This is one of, the, one of the nations that love us and want to celebrate our new king. Here they come. They're coming with banners. We can see them. Like, open the gates. Let's get everybody ready to welcome them in here. And even with the simple things like weather. Like, we have apps that we check multiple times a day to see if it's going to rain. All, it was 50%. Now it's 70%. Now it's back down to 60%. Like, but at that time, they didn't have that. And so they would build their cities up on these hills and be able to say, here comes a storm. Like, batten down the hatches. Like, let's... 
make sure we're going to be safe through this. And so this idea that God is seated in the heavens, it's talking about vantage points that God has that nobody else has. See, God is so high above that he looks and he can see the beginning from the end. He can. He knows everything that's going to happen. And he has the strength and the power and sovereignty to navigate it and to lead it where he desires for it to go. And that's where it comes in. God in his vantage point as he sees all these things, what does he do in verse 4? He laughs. He laughs. What is that all about? Well, in that moment, what, what's happening is they're worried. The, the people at this time, God's people are worried about the nations around them. And God is looking with his perfect vantage point. And he's like, why are you so worried? I've got this. I've got it in control. And the very thing that terrifies the people at that time makes God laugh. And the very thing that worries us and terrifies us makes God giggle. You need to realize that. And the reason why is because of the power and the might and the sovereignty of our God. The strength of our God. He's in control. He's mighty enough to, to solve all these problems and, 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 and suffering and injustices that we see in the world. He has the power and the strength to do it. I mean, you could compare it to, to this. My, my three-year-old son's going to start preschool next year. And let's just imagine this happen. He starts preschool when I come in to visit him one day. And he says, Dad come to class with me today, but when we come in here, like, there's this bully in my class. He's four years old, like, he's a bully. Like, you better watch out, Dad. He really scares me. I think I would look at my son and be like, son, you have nothing to be afraid of. Like, I got a couple extra pounds. Like, I'm pretty sure I can handle this four-year-old. If there's any kind of problem, we can take care of things and we'll move forward. And he's like, but Dad, I'm terrified. I'm afraid. I would laugh, right? Why? Because you're so much greater than that. That's what's happening in this moment. People are like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to the nation? What's going to happen with God's plan? How's all this going to work out? And God's like, God, stop. Stop. I've got this. I'm strong enough. I'm mighty enough. Look to me and trust in me and find refuge. So when you're terrified, look to the Lord. He is strong enough. He is mighty enough. Whatever you're worried about, he can handle it. I mean, some of us look right now and we're like, God, can you rescue and restore my family? Could you do that? Yes. God is strong and mighty enough to do that. Some of you have this, this heartbeat of just passion for outreach and sharing the gospel, and you're like, God, I want my, my school or my university to believe in Jesus and, and to find hope and light, but it is so dark, and people don't, don't believe in you. They're not even thinking about you. Like, God, could you, could you even impact a, a school like that? Yes, do you know how big I am? That's what he's saying. I mean, I, I, even for us as a church, I sit here and I remember what we do in here, I pray God, would it echo into all the nations in the world? And you're like, Ryan, whoa, that's a little too big. No, it's not. Not for my God. Not for our God. He desires to use us to impact the nations. That's what he's calling us to do. That's the work of God. That's what he's doing. He's like, come take part. And so he looks at us as we are fearful, and he, he laughs, and he's like, I've, I've got this. It's okay. Now, I want to be really careful with my, my words right here, because I want us to understand that God is not laughing at your suffering. He is not saying, well, you're really not going through pain. 
this world's really not going through chaos. That's not what God's saying as he laughs here. He's not. God sees your pain and your suffering. God sees injustices. He sees the sin that you're battling and warring with. He sees all of those. And he has the power to restore, to redeem, and to fix them all. God is not laughing, saying, you don't even understand suffering. No. I know that you're going through pain and suffering. So does God. And the things that break our heart break God's heart more. And so he looks at these, this shattered world and these injustices and he responds with justice. He responds with justice. In verse 5, he says, I will speak to them in his wrath. He's going to speak to them in wrath. He's going to terrify them with the fury, saying what? I have set my king on Zion. My king is in place. And so God looks at the injustices in the world and he's like, don't worry, my king still reigns. We come to find out later that that's King Jesus, the one who God speaks and says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Every one of the gospels is highlighting that truth. And his king is reigning. But he's not reigning and saying, well, we're just going to let all these things go by. Or this isn't really a big deal. No, he looks at it and he says, I have wrath and anger towards these injustices. I do. And I'm going to break them. And in verse 9, he said he's going to break them with a rod of iron. Dash them with pieces like a potter's vessel. <laughs> Think about that verse for just a minute. Like, let that settle in what God's saying. This is God showing his might and his strength again. He's like, all these injustices, all these broken things, yeah, I'm coming. And I'm coming with my justice and my might. And so all these broken things in this world, all this injustice, they're like a clay pot. And my strength and my power is like a rod of iron. Now, how, how, do you, how do you break a clay pot? Right? Like, you could just drop it, right? You don't even have to pick it up and like smash it down. Like, you just let it go and it cracks and breaks, right? It shatters. And when you compare that to an iron rod, God is showing that these injustices and these suffering and these pain, this raging and warring of sin, it's got nothing against my power and my might. There is no scenario, there's no matchup where the clay pot beats a rod of iron. Like 10 out of 10 times, the rod of iron wins, right? Like you could think of a ton of different scenarios and it's not going to work. Like you could take the iron rod and, and put it on the ground and say, okay, I'm going to place the clay pot on top of it, like drop it. Iron wins. Well, we're just going to take the iron rod and like barely tap the clay pot. Iron wins, right? Like it always wins. So this imagery that he's using here is to give our hearts comfort and peace and knowing God is powerful enough and mighty enough to save and to break all these injustices. And everything we look at, at chaos in our world, this verse should help us to trust in the king. To trust in his power and in his might. God wins. King is good. He will break the injustices of the world. Now, some of us, we hear this truth and we're like, okay, there's a world of chaos. There's a king that we can trust in. But, like, really, like, I still don't understand why this is so important that the New Testament church would put on repeat and they'd listen to this track over and over and over again and they'd sing it over and over again. And it's because what's happening here as this good, and glorious king is put on display who is just and merciful and powerful. 
when he's put on display, what it does is it speaks to a deep longing of our heart. We want a king like this. We might war against him, but at our deep heart's desire, we want a king like this. We do. And our literature shows it. I mean, there are a ton of different books that have been written that show this deep heart's desire where there's a king, and when the king was reigning, things were flourishing, and everything was going great, but now the king has gone away for one reason or another, and things are decaying and falling away. I mean, you could probably think of a couple of movies or, or, or books, but one of them is Robin Hood. And do you remember the, the Robin Hood theme? Like, we always think about, like, Kevin Costner in this one, but the Robin Hood side of things. But the king is away, and that's why the, the whole kingdom is decaying. And the king is gone, and so... Robin Hood steps up as, a, as an outlaw and tries to be a sense of, of light in this kingdom that's decaying until the king can return. And when the king comes back, there's a sense of joy and celebration and things start to fall in place to get together. And it's like, yes, this is the way it's supposed to be. The king's supposed to be on his throne, a good and righteous king. The same with the stories of Camelot and, and King Arthur. King Arthur lived and made this, this great kingdom and it was flourishing. And then when he dies on his tombstone, it literally writes the once and future king. Because people look and they're like, man, that was a great king. And there's a sense of hope even in these, these fictional stories of Camelot that, man, one day there'll be a king like him. Or he'll be the king again. In the 20th century, one of the, the biggest ones is the, the Lord of the Rings. Where the, the kingdom is warring and its nations are raging, right? And there's the king that's in the north and he's far away. But the third movie ends with the return of the king. The king comes back and as he reigns, there's peace and prosperity that our hearts so desperately long for. I mean, everything that's going on in literature is just speaking to what's already there in our hearts. It's already there. And this psalm, in, in Psalm chapter 2, this is what it's highlighting. That there's a good, gracious king that is coming. And this king offers you and I an invitation to take refuge in him. To take refuge in him. It's the last thing I want us to see. Verse 12 ends, blessed are those who take refuge in him. And this is one of the most beautiful verses, I think, in this passage that we read. And the reason why is because you see these nations raging against the Lord. You see our hearts sinning and warring against the king. And the king, yes, there's a sense of, of wrath and rage against the injustices that are going on, but there's an invitation extended to us. Do you see that? The very ones that are warring and raging against him, God at the very end says, blessed are all, all who take refuge in him. He's inviting those who are warring against him and raging against him to come and find refuge and peace. How do we find that? Two ways. One, we, we repent. Which means we turn from the ways that we're living that are running against the king's ways. We repent and we find refuge in the king. Do you see the warning in verse 10? It says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. God's word is saying, listen up, this is the invitation, come, be wise, be warned, listen, there is wrath coming, but there's an invitation now, there's a mercy waiting for you, that you can come and find refuge in the king. And one of the things that's great about the Bible is, 
this segment of, of verse 9, that there's a rod of iron of judgment that's coming that's going to dash these potter's vessels, this is quoted multiple times in the New Testament. Multiple times that the judgment of God is coming. But every one of them is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Which is not the first coming of Christ when he came as a baby in a manger and rode on a donkey. This is his second coming where he's going to come again with justice and make all things right. What we find in between those times is a period of mercy and grace. Where God's saying, hey, be warned. Listen up. The king is here. Take deep refuge in him. And what's so great about this is we find our refuge not from running from him, but by running to him. We think we're going to war, we're going to rage against the king. Well, how do, we, how do we get away from this guilt or this shame that we're feeling? Well, I'll just ignore him. I'll just run away from him and not think about him. And God's like, no, 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 no. You want freedom from that guilt and shame? It's found in him. He is that refuge. And we see the perfect picture of this fulfillment of the king of Psalm 2 in Jesus, who literally has allowed us to, to look to him as refuge because he stood in our place. Jesus being completely empty took a criminal's death. I mean, completely innocent took a criminal's death. He was empty of any sin or any wrong. And he literally took a criminal's death on the cross. I mean, think about that for a minute. Just apply it to us. If you're guilty of something, you're going to try to justify yourself at least, right? You're going to speak words and say, well, I, let me tell you why I did that and this is the reason I made that decision. And we'll speak up to justify ourselves even if we're guilty, right? And most certainly if we're innocent and we're accused of something wrong, we're going to speak up even louder, right? Like, no, I didn't do this at all. Like, I'm completely innocent. But that's not what we find with King Jesus. It says he opened not his mouth to defend himself. Jesus stood in our place and died a criminal's death when he could have spoke up and proved his innocence. Jesus could have spoke up and looked at every one of us and said, no, they're the ones that are guilty. They're the ones that are deserving of this wrath and this punishment. But the good king didn't do that. He said, I'll take their place. And he had to do that in order to be a good king. Because a good king will not overlook injustices. God can't just say like, oh, let's just love. Let's just let all these things be bygones, right? You don't want that when you've been wronged and sinned against. God's like, there's no way that I can ignore these injustices. So I will step down and be the guilty one on behalf of the guilty. So that they can have life and refuge forever in him. So I would just plead with you, if you've been running from him, trying to find refuge in all these other places in your life, all these other things, would you just stop and say, God, I'm tired of running from you. I want to run to you because that's the only way that I'm going to find refuge for my weary soul. And for others of us that are like, no, I, I know him. I know him as a, as a refuge. I've trusted in Christ. He has forgiven me. There's no doubts in my mind. But let me just encourage you today to remember and find refuge in the king. To remember and find refuge in the king. That's why this, one of the reasons why Psalm 2 was so popular in the New Testament. They kept coming back to this to remember. There's a God that has a vantage point that we can't see. 
He's doing things that we don't understand. And when we can't see what he's doing, we can't see his hand moving, we're going to trust his heart because he is a good king. And so when things seem chaotic and out of control, we are still going to trust in the king. And they they quoted it over and over again, using that as the application that gave them peace and comfort, that God is their refuge when things are chaotic. If you read in your Bibles in Acts chapter 4, we're not going to read it right now, but if you read in Acts chapter 4, that's what's happening in the early church. Persecution has broke out. They're going around and they're arresting the disciples and they're putting them on trial. And when the disciples in Acts chapter 4 are arrested, they're sitting there like, we don't even know if we're going to live. Like, we might die for this king. But he's worthy of it. And so they stand there and they give a testimony of the king and his goodness to them. And in Acts 4, they're actually released and they get back together with the church. And it's great because they get back together as the church and they're like, you know what song we want to sing? Psalm 2. And in Acts 4, the church gets together after they've been persecuted, after all this chaos of the nations is going on. And they're like, let's remember the king. Let's remember the chaos that's going on, but our king that is ruling and reigning. And let's find our hope and our peace and our trust in him. And it didn't just stop there. In early church history, you can read these documents. It's actually some of the earliest documents you can find um, on church history that have been written about this man named Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. So Apostle John, the one that wrote the book of John in the Bible, he discipled this man named Polycarp. And once again, persecution started to break out in the kingdom. And so they go to arrest Polycarp. And they're trying to, the church is trying to get Polycarp out of the city as quick as possible so he doesn't get arrested. And they didn't. The Roman guards come in and they storm the, the house that he's in. And Polycarp, um, being in his mid-80s, he was 86 at the time, sees the Roman guards come in and, and he says, come on in. Come on in. He welcomes them in. And he says, sit down, sit down. And he goes and he makes him a meal. He gets him something to drink. I mean, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. You can read it. It's, it's history. He gives him a meal. And then he starts to sit there as they're having dinner. And he's like, man, how can I pray for you? And he prays for these soldiers who are coming there to arrest him one at a time. And it says that the soldiers had a sense of, of guilt for arresting him. And they're like, just deny the king, deny Jesus, and say that Caesar is the true king, and we don't have to arrest you. Like, Polycarp, you're a, you're a good person. We don't need to arrest you. And Polycarp says, no. No. So what they do is they, they take him to trial. Which trial at that time, they didn't have Netflix or YouTube or all these things. So a good trial was worth watching. And so they would do it in a stadium, in a coliseum. They bring Polycarp in there and they put him on trial. And so the judge is up here and they're talking to Polycarp. And basically they said, man, you're 86 years old. Like, have respect for your age, man. Just deny Jesus and we'll move on. And Polycarp responds to this, this way, which is amazing. He said, for 86 years I have been his servant and he my king. It's quoting Psalm 2, he's my king. And my king has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my savior? And he was martyred that day. He was martyred that day. But he had a sense of calmness about him. Even as they, they burnt him alive, he said, you don't need to chain me. I'll stay right here. Because these are temporary flames. And I know there's an eternal judgment coming for those who don't know the king. Or rebelling against him. So he stood there that day and he was martyred for the king. But he had a calmness about him. Everybody writes it. It was this amazing calmness about him. 
because he's remembering his king. He's remembering the one who said, come and I will be your refuge and your strength. The question isn't ultimately, did the early church respond in this way? The question for us today is, will we respond in the same way? In the chaos of our world, will we look to the king and find our refuge and our strength? Let's bow your heads and pray. If you are here today and you know you've been running um, to all these other places to find refuge, today God is calling you to stop. He sent an invitation for all, for everyone who would look to him, could find refuge in him because of what Christ did. And so if that is you today, you've been running from the king, you've been living in that chaos, rebelling against him, would you today just stop and turn from running from him and turn to run to him? And there's no magical words, but if you're wanting to do that, then just pray, God, I know I've been running from you. I want to run to you. Forgive me. I know that you who are innocent and you died in my place. And so, God, I just want to believe in that and confess that and know that you rose from the grave. Pray something like that today and know that God will come. And blessed is the person, happy is the person who finds their refuge in him. If that's you today, pray. If you still have questions, I would invite you to come. Come talk to me or one of our other pastors, Pastor David, Pastor Brandon, after the sermon and just ask questions. God is not afraid of your questions. He welcomes you because he has a vantage point that can see all things and knows all things. For others of us, may we just make a recommitment to remember today. We've been worried. We've been anxious. We've been looking at all the chaos around us and within us. And we need to just pause today and remember, God, you are king and you're in your throne and you are reigning and we look to you and find peace and calmness and comfort today do that today father i pray i pray now over us as a church i pray that we would have repentant hearts that we would have remembering hearts and god that we would praise and glorify you because lord you are our refuge you are our king lord we love you thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now. Let's sing to this King.